3: The opinion line with PJ Coogan
4: on Courts 96 FM. It's as clear as mud now. Who knew what and when? It, it really is like absolutely. I mean, Leo's there the other night on the television, insisting that they never told anybody. This was lamps on us. As a surprise on Sunday, that should not have happened. Yeah. And not only did Tony O'Holohan tell Stephen Donnelly, he told
5: him how worried he was. I was very clear, and I wouldn't preempt the outcome of a discussion, but I was very clear about the level of concern that I have they, and had.
4: Who was telling who? What was. Te- I don't know. I don't know. I just. Ah, it is all a fog now. 185715996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. The email, opinion at 96fm.e. Uh, Twitter is at opinionline96. Your hashtag is OL96. And of course, if you want to message us on Facebook, you can do so. The Corks 96 FM Facebook page. And please, if you can, mark your message for the attention of the opinion line. It just makes them easier to find. Now, for months and months, as we talked about the coronavirus and we talked about levels one to five and we talked about lockdown and semi-lockdown and this place closing and that place closing and stay-at-home orders and the whole thing, consistently we get a few calls and texts to the show about the off-licenses from people who say just shut them down completely from people who say ban the sale of off-licence entirely to people who sit on the end of the phone crying to us about the implications for them personally of closing the off-licences. Like the woman who rang one morning and said, if he doesn't get his whiskey, I'll get it. And you know what I mean. So, what do you do? And then in the last 24, 36 hours, there has been a bit of a move towards clamping down, perhaps, on the off-licences over the next couple of weeks. It started at a Fine Gael parliamentary party, but it's kind of gained a bit of traction. Yesterday morning on the Clarebourne radio show, Patrick O'Donovan, the junior minister from Limerick, was going on about it.
6: We need to examine, you know, for instance, maybe opening hours, maybe the volumes of people uh, that our people are allowed to purchase at any one time. What's happening at the moment is, and we notice, we know where COVID has emanated from. It is, you know, it has emanated from house parties across the various spectrums, whether it is celebrations of Jack's, whatever, or Mary's, whatever, uh, or this club's, whatever. We know that. Uh, and the uncontrolled
4: consumption of alcohol is a problem. Now, then another junior minister, Robert Troy, he told a Fianna Fáil meeting that off-licences should be closed for three weeks. Closed, just shut the whole lot of them down. And we think that the Social Protection Minister, Heather, Heather Humphreys, is behind this as well. She was talking at that parliamentary party meeting. The Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, is thinking about it. Uh, it's, it's gathering. Oh, the junior minister, Hildegard Nocton, is also thinking about it. It's gathering a bit of pace that action might be taken against the off-licences. I've said from the very start of this, I don't think it would be a good thing to do. I think it might be punishing the many for the sins of the few, among other things. But let's get an expert view. A man who's always talked to me many times about overconsumption of alcohol and perhaps how we might look at dealing with it. Uh, Dr. Chris Luke. Chris, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, Are licences open or closed? Would it make a difference at this point? Well, I think
7: it would make a significant difference if we regulate uh, socialising, first of all, and if we particularly remember that most of the difficulties with alcohol comes not from regulated uh, drinking, not from uh, licensed premises, but from off-licensed sales. I mean, that's been a public health fact of life for a good 30 years, and as, as you all know, there's a, there's, a, there's a major alcohol bill that's been going to the for di- almost decades as far as I can gather, uh, and there's been a deal of sort of li- uh, legal foot-dragging, but um, ba- basically... If we are to control, if we're to regulate or try and dampen down the likes of house parties and the sort of scenes we saw at Spanish Spanish Arts last week, we've got to focus on off-licence sales. And look, you know, we've got to steer a clever path between prohibition which we know tends to drive things underground uh, and towards criminality and all the rest of it, and and disinhibition, which is basically what happens when you've had a few scoops and there's nowhere else to go. I mean, we we saw it now uh, in play where pubs were allowed to, to, to fly their trade but were told to close at 10. So they're luring people to the pub from, from their homes with the prospect of a, of a night out with friends and family. They're giving them a couple of pints or whatever and then just as they're wetting their appetite uh, you know they have a, a taste for more, more congregation. They're turking them out onto the streets with nowhere else to go and then they're, then they're wondering about the, the kind of the, the disorder and, and, and crowds on, on the streets. So I, I must say I'm all in favour of right Regulated yeah. uh, celebration, I think it's really important that people are able to socialise. I think socialising is absolutely essential mm. for mental health mm. and for society. So uh, even
4: socialising, Chris, I speak only for myself, but now that we're unrestricted, behaviours or asked to mind ourselves for the next couple of weeks, I will do what I'm told. Part of that is I will go nowhere, I imagine, on the next few Saturday nights. One thing I will do is sit down with a box set and maybe a takeaway. And I th- I think I'm entitled to have my, my bottle of wine with that or my couple of cans. And if you over-regulate the off-licenses so I can't get those, like by closing them down, that's punishing me for somebody else's bad behavior.
7: Yes, and that's what I mean by prohibition, which I'm not advocating at all. I mean, I'm not advocating anything other than regulated socializing. In fact, I to the idea... A couple of weeks ago, because it struck me uh, having, uh, you know, uh, young uh, young adult children and one of whom is at UCC the first year, it just struck me as very disappointing that they couldn't get into any any pubs and the, and, the, and the universities weren't doing very much to sort of celebrate and mark their rite of passage. So, I mean, I thought that places like NUIG and uh, UCD and all the rest of it should be hosting Uh, little little celebration parties that are extremely well regulated, you know, table service only, uh, you know, uh, tents on on the campus, rather than expecting people to go and find their own uh, place to celebrate on the streets by by, by Spanish arts. And in addition to that, I said we should regulate off-licenses for the moment, Now, in South Africa and Botswana and Bahamas and Hong Kong and places like that, they closed all off licences and licensed premises in, down in mid to late March, and the result was one a, a, a huge public health bonus in the, in, the, in 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 the, in in terms of the reduction in the number of alcohol related uh, domestic violence, alcohol related accidents uh, and homicides pitching up to the emergency departments and, and mortuaries in South Africa, but of course they saw things like people and you're talking about driving things underground. There was, for example, a case. Of, of a, a gang of thieves who, who tunneled into an off license applicant and went off, got off with, with, with tens of thousands of, of dollars worth of, of, of booze, uh, and then of course when they when they reopened the the, the offices and the the, the the license premises, there was a massive pent-up demand, which meant that there was a, a, a tsunami of alcohol-related problems uh, coming to the hospital. So I'm not in favour of prohibition. Uh, But what I am perhaps suggesting, I mean, if this is something that we have to think about and debate and deliberate over, I mean, I'm suggesting that perhaps people could get their their off-license sales between, say, 9 and 12 in the mornings, and try and regulate, particularly regulate around, you know, in the vicinity of, of universities and so forth. So I'm, I'm not advocating prohibition, uh, PJ. I'm advocating, in fact, exactly what you're, you're, you're talking about the, the pleasure of a glass of vino of, of, you know, uh, over a box set at home with your loved ones. I mean, that's absolutely the right thing. That's, mm. you know, that's why, you know, Gaia, God, whatever you want, provided alcohol. It's, yeah. it's, it's, so, it's, so what would it's, you it's suggest, a, it's a, maybe, Chris? Predicament.
4: What would you suggest? Art. Maybe limits on what people can purchase, but that won't work because they'll just go to the next well, off place and put it and buy it again. Mean,
7: yeah, but if you're 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 you your, 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 your limiting it slightly, and that's what you have to do. I mean, I think what we what we don't want to see is, the, as as know said, the, the prospect of uh, one young person with a trolley of of of, of, of you know slabs. And and bottles of vodka coming out of of, of the supermarket. And I I, I think for the duration, it's a bit like the toilet rolls feature. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I, I, in the first wave of anxiety, things like bread and uh, toilet rolls were being were being you know were being uh, hoarded, and it meant that you know the first person in was getting all the all the toilet paper, while the elderly pensioner at the back of the queue was getting nothing. So, I mean, it's something as simple and something that we've seen working, which is limiting uh, what you can buy. Uh, you know, for individuals to say, like, say six six pack and uh, you know
4: a bottle. I don't, know, I don't know, but something. Yeah. Like Or hours, maybe.
7: Yeah,
4: limiting the hours... Would you close them at six o'clock, say? Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, you know,
7: I mean, it's not, it's not very long since we we, we we got rid of the Good Friday phenomenon. Of course, we all know perfectly well that on on, on Good Friday, you know, there was a reduction in the, in the level of alcohol. It's not saying there wasn't sea beans and lock-ins and all that, but overall, the consumption was down. So it meant that the overall impact of alcohol-related problems on that particular day uh, every year was, was, was reduced. So I'm just saying that as we go up and up and up the levels, That you know, we might. I mean, I have a mother-in-law who's locked in a nursing home at the moment, and we have the gravest difficulty getting to visit her, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. So, if you say to me, you know, if we uh, try and curtail all these sales, so that there aren't the the house parties and the the crowds on the streets spreading the disease. Or, or, or else we just, we just rev, rev up, you know, completely deny access to all and our I mean, I'm just going to say, yes, of course. Okay. We we've got access to our elderly and all the rest of us. What's the implications of, of just simply turning, dialing, and the availability of licensed drink? Okay.
4: That, that that line isn't the greatest, Chris, but I want you to hold on for the next gentleman I want to talk to. But before I do that, um, just in terms of the ED, where, of course, you came back out of retirement to help on the front line, at the very, very start to this. How how worried are you guys now about the numbers going up in terms of critical care?
7: I'm oh, very worried. I mean, the departments have been chock-a-block since uh, June, really. I mean, we have the, the numbers coming to the, the country, the emergency departments plummeted in March-April because of general anxiety, uh, and people didn't want to go into the hospitals. Uh, but then they then they were resurgent in, in June, so the, the emergency departments of the country have been chock-a-block uh, since June, and the One of the reasons is because the COVID, you know, measures meant that that the the space uh, shrunk in all our departments by 25 to 50 percent as we, you know, uh, created social distance in the waiting room and turned curtains into walls uh, and all the rest. of But in addition to that, you're having to don protective uh, equipment, which takes, you know, seven minutes uh, on before the patient and seven minutes after. So for, for all sorts of COVID related reasons and for normal seasonal reasons. Apartments are incredibly busy, uh, and we also now have a a much more scary prospect of covid this again, uh, a la la Mars in April. So, you know, people are very, very concerned. And as we heard yesterday, the number of free beds in general and the number of critical care beds in the state uh, is is minuscule.
4: Yeah, okay. I'm going to leave it with you, Chris, because that line that line is brutal. But thanks very much, as always, Dr. Chris Luke, consultant in emergency medicine. Thank you, Chris. 1850 715 What he's saying about the off-license is not to shut them down. And I think he made the point they did that in South Africa and they did that in other parts of the world. And it actually caused more problems than it solved when they reopened them again. And maybe while they were closed, it caused more problems then it's solved. But he's into some kind of regulation, be it ours, be it the merchant and buy, whatever it may be. I want to know what you think 185715996 now on the mental health of young people he he was also making the point and I apologise the line wasn't the best he was saying that there should be more done to allow young people to enjoy themselves because as we heard yesterday on the programme enjoying yourself is such an important part of being 19 and think back to when you were 19 Sir Janie God you need to be tied down I know I certainly needed to be tied down for half the week to keep me at home 19 to 20 years of age. So, you know, that's an understanding we've got to have as people who are a bit older. Uh, we've got to understand that in our youth, we were as meant to get out as they are now. So we have to reach a happy medium. Going to go there next.
3: The Opinion Line on courts 96FM With the Indoor
8: Self-Service Laundrette Now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day, washing and drying, done within an hour. Self-Service Laundry.ie
3: Cork loves the arts. We do too.
8: That's why we bring you the Arts House.
3: Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM.
8: Hi, it's Elmery. Each week, we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around
5: Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall
8: and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10, with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fred Fresh, and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do.
3: On Courts 96FM. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call
8: us now. 1850-715-996.
4: On Courts 96FM. I spent a lot of time yesterday morning talking about young people's mental health and how important it is for the rest of us who are a bit older now to remember the time when we too were. Youngsters, and we loved to get out and we loved to socialise and we needed our friends. We needed to almost be able to see a friend every minute and hour of the day or we felt that life wasn't wasn't normal. That was just what it's like when you're 19. And the mental health impacts on young people of this pandemic, we should not forget them. And we also got a huge uh, response the other day to a text from a nurse working in an emergency department, who gave us a statistic that, look, we can't verify it. We've been unable to verify this statistic. But a nurse from an emergency department texted us to say, look, self-harm is up, way up, a um, couple of hundred percent up in her experience over the last couple of months. We, we can't verify that. But uh, Ian Power is the CEO of spunout.ie, which runs a crisis text line for young people. Ian, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Now, we can't verify that statistic, but I think your experience in terms of people coming to you in a crisis is similar.
9: Yeah, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> a couple of weeks in particular, it has been a marked increase in the levels of distress, and, um, even this week alone, uh, you know, it's Thursday morning, but in the last three days, Monday to Wednesday, we've done more conversations with people, young people in crisis than we did in the whole of last week. So that just gives you a sense of the increase that we are seeing kind of week on week. So it, it's really something that we're concerned about, but something that we're happy that people are reaching out to talk about, because I think that's the main thing to get the message across that, you know, young people are, after experiencing a summer like no other, And um, we launched a, a consultation with 2,000 young people earlier this week with the government. And, you know, the main findings were not shocking, but it was that, you know, one third of young people really, felt that missing their friends was was something that impacted them hugely. And I think it's, you know, in your intro, I think it's fair to for older people maybe not to connect with that. I think, you know, obviously you can easily forget what it's like when you're younger, but you know, at that moment in time, social connection is vital for your mental health. Being connected to your friends, you know, knowing where you're going in life, and, you know, being out there, particularly if you think about those students who've just left secondary school, they've left all of their you know, established friend circle behind to go chart a new kind of course in a different place somewhere in Ireland, and they have no real ability at this moment in time to go out there and make new friends, nor do, you know, those that are graduating, to Find maybe the job that they had planned to do when they started their college course, or even you know for those who are in the the workplace at the moment as young people to maybe find a partner or to find somebody to share the rest of their lives with. So I think you know we can't underestimate how much this is knocking people, and we're certainly seeing it over the past uh, number of days in particular, but also last week. Um, one of the things that we do, obviously, is we talk to young people and um, particularly those maybe who are talking to us about suicide. And um, we ask every young person we talk to if they've had any thoughts. And about one in five uh, young people have had thoughts of suicide. And when we do that, we do a risk assessment. And if we're in a position where maybe the texture is not able to keep themselves safe or maybe they're not willing to keep themselves safe, we escalate those um, textures to the National Ambulance Service for an emergency escalation. And last week we did 50 percent more of those calls than we did in the previous week. So, it, you know. I, I don't have any insight into the ED presentations, but certainly in our service, we're seeing this creeping up and we're wondering, you know, there was a lot of talk of, you know, tsunamis about mental health and all that sort of thing, you know, early in the summer, and I'm not sure how helpful that was, but certainly right now, we are seeing a bit of a surge in, in distress, yeah. and, and, and it's slightly worrying, but I think, look, the main message is that it's good that people are reaching out and we yeah. continue to encourage people
4: to reach out. What What troubles... Um, people, Ian, is that they see themselves doing their best, staying at home, not seeing family, friends, not seeing grandchildren and whatever, and grandparents, and then they look at Spanish Arch, and then they look at Killarney, and then they look at the scenes from inside Cork last, inside Cork City last week, and they think, really, You're, you need this crap for your mental health? That's the bit that people struggle with. Absolutely. And I think the thing
9: to get across as well is that, look... There are nearly 600,000 young people in the age bracket of 16 to 25. And you can be damn sure we'd know about it if there were 600,000 young people on the streets. They're not. The majority of young people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but I do agree with what your earlier contributor, Chris, was saying and also as listened to the programme yesterday. And we need to find a way for young people to socialise in a safe way we need to figure out a harm reduction approach to it. Is there a way for us to be able to allow, and it's going to become more difficult obviously as the winter comes in on us more, but is there a way for us to set up social events for young people that are outdoors, that are spaced out, that are controlled, that are well staffed? Is there a way for us to talk to young people about creating social bubbles? Um, how can they do that in a safe way where you know they maybe pick 10 people that they are the only 10 people they see and everyone else they of that bubble, maybe they, you know, stay the two, two metres apart from and all that sort of thing. We need to try to think and work with young people as to how we can continue to yeah. keep that lifeline open for them, which is their social connections. And I'm not saying that that's, we don't need to do the same thing for older people or um, anybody else. I think we need to figure out how to do this for everybody. But, you know, my expertise is in young people and I think that that's what we need to be doing. And, you know, the messages that we need to be getting across to young people is not that they're to blame, Because if that's the case, you know, we may as well throw our hands up in the air because, you know, if young people are feeling tarnished as an entire generation, well, they're going to say to themselves, well, why should I bother? So, because if I'm already getting the blame, I may as well do the crime. So we need to... Think about all of those young people who- k- kept with us, stayed on the journey, and then we need to try and figure out well those that are maybe struggling and slipping, how do we bring those young people okay. along with us and um, you know in the way that we need to
4: lastly and briefly, Ian, have you any view at all on off licenses and regulating them or shutting them uh, to be honest you know what I would look for is the evidence and I
9: haven't seen or heard any evidence that, that shutting them or restricting them is going to do anything um, are, the overwhelming evidence is that controls in the Scandinavian countries doesn't really tend to, to do a huge amount I, th- I think it's probably a fool there and um, we need to have a much more you know long term think about our structural and cultural relationship with alcohol and figure out ways to meaningfully kind of make changes as opposed to kind of things that are going to 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 be gimmicks and not necessarily, I don't think, make a
4: huge difference. Okay. Okay. All right. That's good. I'll leave it there. Thank you, Ian. That's Ian Power, CEO of spunout.ie. If you are a young person in crisis, the text number for them is 50808. 50808. Thanks, Ian. 185715996. Now, Veronica. A lot of people are contacting us a little bit frustrated at all of the sympathy being shown towards young people in the last day or two. It's it's not sympathy, it's just trying to see it through their eyes. Veronica, good morning to you.
1: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
4: Good. What would you like to say?
1: PJ, uh, first of all, I want to say, like, why is the elderly always have to suffer, especially for... What's going on today? After all, like there's young people out there which is very selfish. Don't take the elderly into consideration. For instance, when the lockdown was on, my mum was in for uh, three solid months. Her legs were seizing up and all that. Now, we were actually up at Mass there yesterday morning. <clears throat> my mum lives alone for Mass. I bring her every morning. And there's other people also in her own age Goes to mass, and we were told yesterday morning that that was the end of the mass.
6: Yeah, it's
1: online in now. Daylight, I think it's a disgrace because, like, um, that was bringing them out, especially for their mental health issues. Like, and they're going to be in again with no mass. Yeah, now and is, another, is your mom
4: able to use an iPad or something and watch mass online?
1: No, I tell you now, my mom. Um, can get her on television only to sound because she just can't afford broadband.
4: Okay, okay,
1: okay. And that's the only way you can get the television on to actually see it. But then again, my mum would actually like to be in the church. itself Because where the church is, the Ascension Ground about her. Yeah. And... Um, like, they're trying to raise money to do roofs and windows yeah. and all. To I No, and, 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 like and her church, is, her church going and going out. to
4: church is very, very important.
1: Well, I'm proud of going, I'm Catholic, and I'm not ashamed of saying oh, I am yeah. going to Mass since I was a young child. I live alone, I like going to Mass. Yeah. yeah, I have nothing against people that don't go to Mass, but I'm just saying, you should think of the elderly, what they're doing all the time, why must they suffer? Yeah. Because after all, it was taking them out of themselves to go up to Mass and meet people. And we were doing the guidelines, the whole lot, face masks, hand ties, everything like that. Yeah. But like all that is taken away from them again. Like, we don't know, like, the minute again, when when is Mass going to go back? they were actually delighted to go back to Mass and just again to be taken from them. Yeah. Well, you like, know that if you just want to bring her up... Her...
4: Sorry, Veronica. You know Sorry. that under the Level 3 rules... But yes, if, you. if you just want to pick her up and take her up to pray for yes, a while, she, she has, can do that.
1: Yeah, she can do that, but I'm just in, in the line of mass. Like, yeah, there's, if there was a funeral in the morning, they're allowed 20 to 25 to go to the funeral or a wedding. Yes, there's no mass allowed at the moment, John, understand somewhere I'm coming from. I do,
4: I do. And I think you're annoyed as well by the amount of parties going on.
1: Oh, my God, it's dreadful. And yes, it's, not, it's very selfish on the elderly, like, why should the elderly have to be in and suffer for the likes of younger people out enjoying themselves? They Don't take them into consideration at all, like, when there is the parties, who are they coming back and passing that on to? You know, they should think of all that. When they grow partying, who are they affecting? You know? I know. How old is your mum? Was she
4: 85?
1: My mom's 85. How I is she otherwise? I her. Well, I tell you, you no, know, PJ, when she was in for the three months, her legs seized up. I know. You yeah. know, and I get to her out every day walking. I do everything with my mum, like, Good you for know. You. Good for you. It's the best mother in the whole world to tell you to try it over to bits. Of course she do. But I hate to see this happening, like, because they were nearly in tears yesterday when the priest was out announcing it on the altar, that, that was the last of the Masses, know. you know. Right. I actually got on to the Bishop as well, but I couldn't rightly talk to the Bishop in person, but I was talking to his secretary, you know, that's out in the place itself, you know, yeah, that yeah. they're running. And she even agreed with me. She said, like, it's tough on the elderly, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of people depend on the mass and as I said, there's only about 20 goes in the morning, might be 25. I'm yeah. only getting now, like, you know. But that's what they want, like, you know. Uh, like, I why know. take all that from mum, like?
4: I know, I know. Veronica, it's a good point. And, and my own mum has been talking about churches uh, for a long time. You know, she gets her mass every day or every evening. Tell you a funny story about that in a minute. But she gets it online. She's very handy with an iPad, to be fair to her. But she misses going to church. She absolutely misses going to church. So I can totally understand Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With
8: the Solid Fuel Depot, now located at the Junction Supermarket, Bickers Road. Coal, gas, kiln-dried wood and briquettes for collection or delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie. I've been
6: trying to keep my it's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask-wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask, unless there's a two meter distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily, and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, wash or sanitize your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've
1: been trying
6: to keep, my keep up to date with the latest COVID 19 information at 96fm.ie This is Court's Gold Imro Award
3: winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now Oe 396
8: 96, 96
4: On Court's 96 FM Mike says as a group we're forgetting when we're talking about this, we're talking about the old people, talking about the young people, talking about students Mike I'll be with you in just about one minute right, uh, just Want to get through some of the comments on off licenses. It's a it's distinct possibility now that there could be some restrictions brought in on off licenses either. Narrow down their hours. At the moment, we've got some of the most restrictive off license hours in Europe 12 midday to 10 pm. They want to shut them down a bit more, maybe 12 till 6. 12 till 4, something like that. That could happen. Others want them closed down completely. Robert Troy wants them closed completely for three weeks. But Aaron says, what about people living with alcoholics and domestic abusers? What about them? Declan, all now this is an interesting idea. All alcohol sales should be by debit card payment only. Set up a separate till in the supermarket for this. Purchase description on statement would read that the alcohol, the alcohol purchased and the cost of it. It's a bit like gambling. People won't want that showing up. Read from it what you will. Morris says, PG, there'll be fellas going around selling drink out of the back of vans if there's regulations included or in- introduced about the sale of alcohol in off-licences. Prohibition doesn't work. Claire says, raise the legal age for consuming alcohol or purchasing alcohol to 25. Why tear everybody with the same brush? I said at the start, says Tom, I said at the start of the last shutdown off-licences should be closed. Not everyone can control their drinking. The parks were full of drunk people with alcohol bought in off-licences and supermarkets. It moved indoors now. Caller says, look at the poor man who's been punished already with the pubs closed and lives on his own. Caller is against the off-licences from the beginning as they're causing the parties open the pubs and close the off-licences. Some people have nobody to talk to at home, The pub is their only social outlet. Khan simply says they're not essential places of work. Dan says just shut them down. If we all have to suffer over the sins of the few, then so be it. It's a longer message than that, Dan, but that's the thrust of it. PJ, you should realise this is a time of danger and we have to do whatever it takes. You have a responsible job, which is why I'm trying to take everybody's view into account, Dan. 185715996. 185715996. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Vijay again. Good. You're saying we're forgetting the farmers. Yes, indeed. Well, I know.
10: I always say, every time you turn on the, turn on the radio, it's COVID, COVID-19 this, that, and the other. Um, like I highlighted there on Facebook, I would say, the last two days, the, the high suicidal rate of young and old farmers yeah. due to this. Yeah. You know, it's just, like, fair enough, Dave. They're after shutting the pubs again. For what reason, I do not know. But the common penny that's living up the hill can go down for his pint and his he's chat. Yeah. So probably, probably the only person he can chat to during the week. Yeah. And, like, when they did the full shutdown, there was a lot, a lot of farmers were out with of, I would say, seeing their cattle because they have to go past the checkpoints. Or like basically, will the price be still there? If you want to sell these cattle, or or will there be, will there be feeding there? It, like it's like fair enough, right? Fair fair play to the nurses and doctors. Look, they're doing a great job. Uh, but like it's just people are just forgetting basically the farmers. Like we are we are we are walking away, and look, we are well used to isolation. Hmm. Well, maybe because. Well, I probably smell a small of it, so like this isolation could be handy to me for a while.
4: But <laughs> but it's like, a lonely old life, is what you're saying?
10: Anyway. Oh no, it it is it, it is a lonely life. But like fair enough, I'm in. I won't say I'm in the young bracket. I'm in the middle bracket that so I'm able to com- communicate with my friends through my phone. But it's well, it's, it's the farmer, it's the farmer who who has just got the old Nokia phone that wants not die dying in in a, in a year. The battery life won't die in a year, kind of a thing. Like,
4: yeah. it's just. They it don't have anybody, and and yeah. Mike, is there a business concern here as well? Because not only have we got the effects of of the pandemic on on your prices, and you're an essential part of the supply chain, so the, the work is going to be there. But there's between that and what's going to happen with Brexit, farmers have a lot to worry about.
10: Well, they do. Like the people, the people don't realize when McDonald's, when McDonald's and Supermax and all those big chains, big chains, are closed down during the pandemic, like. Like where was the beef? Where like we were supplying those still those chains? Well, we think we were anyway. Um, like those supply chains went and then the prices went down. Like we are still working. Look, like, every day is the, look the chain jobs are every day, yeah. and like the people the people who, who wake up in the morning and can go into the office and they know they get a paycheck at the end of the week is look fair play to them. Like, but if to the farmers it isn't like. Monday yeah. and Friday, like you might you might make ends meet until Friday. It's just a, like it's look. It's it's it's, it's a market with, with a tight rope. With a tighter rope. That's the way we look at it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I and miss- the amount of, and the amount of young farmers that are not taking, the amount of young people aren't taking up the the, the parents' farm is incredible.
4: Yes, and of course the, the the people that are managing farms uh, it's a lonely old life there, and remember their mental health as well as what you're talking about.
10: Oh yes, indeed. Like like like, fair enough. I can I can go I I can go out and I I can see I can I can I, look, I can see at least I have a few neighbors that are close. I mean, if need be, like. But it's just it is a look. It is a lonely life for for, for farmers. Like and it's, like people people be laughing at us, kind of saying, "Oh, the farmers have it all this way." Yeah, fair enough. I've got a big field and I can walk down the big field. But there's no one in the big field I can talk to.
4: I know. That's a good point, Mike. Leave it there. Thanks very much, 1850-715-996. And the words of a man we talked to many, many times over the years, haven't spoken to him in a while. I believe he's okay. I believe he's doing very well. Uh, But my old pal, Paddy O'Brien, something that Paddy has always said in her many, many interviews over the years, loneliness kills more people than anything else every year loneliness and cold kills more people than anything. And we should remember that because it can be a very lonely time. It has been a very lonely time for people uh, during the, the, the pandemic. Uh, closing off licences would escalate drug taking and illegal sales, says Frank. 1850 uh, In general, I think people saying, look, don't close the off licences. It might cause more problems than it would solve. And that was what Chris Luke was saying to me, they did it in South Africa, they did it in a number of parts of the world. When they closed the off-licences for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, it sounded like the right thing to do. But at the end, it probably caused more problems than it solved. I'm going to move on from off-licences, but I want to keep it in the background for the rest of our programme this morning to gauge how you feel about either restrictions or closure. But let's deal purely and simply with closure. We have it up on Twitter... Uh, regulation of the off-licenses. We have it up on Twitter. So, off-license, yes, if you support regulating or closing. Off-licenses, yes, or off-licenses, no, if you don't. Off, yes, or off, no. Off-licenses, yes, if you support... Clamping down on the off-licences. Off-licences, no, if you don't. 083-396-96-96. And we leave it run uh, for at least an hour, possibly more. I'll remind you of it a couple of times. Text or WhatsApp. Now, I may have to come back to this one after 10... D. So I'll just get started with Julie. People with a disability who don't have access to public transport are likely to be left marooned, according to an independent TV. That's Dennis Nocton. There's been a very complex legal issue has arisen uh, between the Department of Finance and the Supreme Court, and it affects certain allowances that people had um, on buying vehicles that were adapted for for disability. Julie, good morning to you.
11: Good morning, PJ.
4: Can you explain in simple terms that we'll all understand what has happened here?
11: Uh, yep. Um, so basically, there was um, a court case uh, back in June where uh, two families um, challenged uh, refusals for um, vehicle adaptation grants uh, for their 17-year-old children. And they took it as far as the Supreme Court um because the criteria for the different grants is, is quite stringent and the language is quite archaic about not it, not being able to use arms and legs. And obviously we've moved on from that in terms of how we view disability in Ireland. Yeah. So the, these families um, challenged, challenged uh, the criteria and they brought it all the way to the Supreme Court and they were successful. Okay. So as a result of that, um, now... Um, primary medical certificates um, are not being assessed or issued at the moment. Yeah. So I suppose it's important to realise that that means, as far as I can tell, this only came to my attention yesterday, PJ. So as with anything, you know, uh, information is still emerging. But um, as far as I can tell, it's for new new entrants or new applicants yeah.
4: for and primary how much, medical. How much is the grant worth, Julie?
11: um I, I suppose it depends so uh for for uh the particular grants uh, you can get up to uh 15,000 rebate if you're a passenger and 10,000 rebate if you're a driver 22,000 rebate of vat and vrt for um organizations so disability organizations that would have vehicles mm-hmm. for people like- um you, you, can have, I just, you have
4: an adapted car yourself, don't you?
11: Yes, I do. That, that's what I was going to come to um, and to just try and explain how important and valuable this is. Um, so I started driving at the age of 21 and I can still remember the day when I was in Balancolic and I was walking down the street on my own and I suddenly felt really, really weird and I was like, why do I feel so strange? And I realised it was the first time I had ever got anywhere by myself completely of my own volition at the age of 21 so like that's how valuable my car is to me my car is my legs and really um gives me a great opportunity to participate in society and to be a contribute a contributor to society i use my car all the time for my work yeah yeah. Um, and I, it's important to say that people who are getting these grants, they're not you know, we're not making money out of it, it's to help us with the extra costs that we have mm. so for instance, I have to have a bigger car than most people because it's harder for me to get in and out of the car so I need extra space Um, I have to have a saloon, uh, sorry a uh, um, uh, um, an estate boot to yeah. be able to get my wheelchair in and out of my car. And also, so I have the wheelchair with me all of the time. And as well, if I'm going somewhere, I generally have to have a change of clothes in case I get wet. I have to have all of the things that I need for the day in the car because I can't carry things as easily as other people could. Yeah. So I leave things in the car and I come through and from the car if I need to. Um So it's really important that I have a car that suits. In terms of particularly driving, I have um, an automatic boot door so that I can use the boot. I wouldn't be able to use it without that. And the cost of that as an extra in most cars is between €500 and €1,000. Yeah. Um, And same with the lights in my car. I have to have automatic lights because I use my hands to drive completely. So, you know, I don't have four... Um, And
4: all all of these things are costs, and you were able to claim them back, but the next person mightn't be able to because of this Supreme Court decision, is that it?
11: Yes, and it's it's also important to realise that the primary medical cert, which has been suspended for new applicants now, is a really important document for people with disabilities. Um, It also entitles you to the blue parking badge. So that will mean that people won't be able to get, new applicants won't be able to get the parking new parking badge.
4: As I say, I'm going to come back to it after the news, Julie. But just before I let you go, because time is catching me, do yes. you know if this comes under the minister for health or the minister for disability?
11: Well, it's coming under uh, it's the uh, Department of Finance that made the decision right. under Revenue. Um, uh, I suppose it comes under it comes under both actually. Okay. Um, it is a health a health thing, I suppose, um, but it's given through revenue
4: all of the time. Okay. I will leave it there. Thank you very much. You've started it off for us. It's it's a it's because of a Supreme Court decision that what Julie was able to get to get her car adapted and she has a 191 car. The next person buying a 202 car or a 21 what will they you know they may not be able to get their car adapted because of this Supreme Court decision.
3: The Opinion
4: Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM. Yeah, let's continue that little poll we've decided to run with regards to the off-licences. It doesn't matter what kind of an off-licence, be it the one down your local supermarket or the ones, the standalone independent ones. Is it time to start restricting the off-licences as we try to tackle the second wave of COVID-19? off licenses yes or no or just yes or no to 083 396 96 96 text or whatsapp we're also running it on twitter at opinion line 96 so you can vote wherever and at the end of the show we will collate all of the various platforms into an overall result but do you think it's time some people do some people don't some people want them closed some people want restrictions just is it time to restrict the off licenses in some way Yes or no, to 083-396-9696. Naomi says, am I the only person that can't afford to go to off-licences? Supermarkets are far cheaper. I only go to off-licences when I'm looking for something for a special occasion. Issue coupons for drink, says this message. They were used in World War II. Why not now? To damp down the drinking and parties, I think they should do just like they did when they opened the pubs for people to have to spend money on food that supermarkets and off-licences should only be for people who've already spent 50 euro on food and groceries. Tony says, In Cuba, you can go to pubs, restaurants and cafes. There are guys sitting alongside the parks with crates of beer in the boot for half price. They're also very keen to buy the bottles back off you when you're finished. It shows that when you regulate things too heavily or make them too expensive, you create a black market. That is what you do. 1850 715 We let that poll run for a wee while longer like fact for I'd say at least an hour and we'll collate it all at the end of the show I'll remind you a couple of times what our question is but well, we're talking about this Supreme Court decision which is affecting people's ability to get hold of a very valuable grant or series of grants to adapt a car for driving with a disability. So whether it be that you can drive off of the steering wheel or whether it be that you have to have a special kind of a boot or you have to buy a larger car, any adaptation of the car to allow you to drive with your disability, you can't get the grant now because of a Supreme Court decision. Daniel Doyle works at Southern Mobility. Daniel, good morning to you.
12: Good morning, PJ.
4: It's, it's causing a backlog of applications for adaptation, but also it's causing people to say simply can't afford it.
12: That, that's the main thing. So just a bit of background, like I'm a disabled driver myself. Okay. Um, so I drive with a vehicle with adoptions. Uh, but it's not just drivers that it is affecting, it's passengers. So, example, if your mother-in-law or something or father-in-law, they, they acquire an injury and something and they need an adaption to help getting in and out of the vehicle, they're coming down to us and they're coming with a car that mightn't be suitable. They need to change the vehicle and they're just not financially able to. Because this grant allows people, for so it's not just disabled drivers, it's disabled passengers as well. So they can't get the grant. So we have people now they're, they're stuck at home for months because they need, to up, they need to get the car, upgrade the vehicle, and they're fin- financially not able to. And I've raised this issue with my, my actually my friend of mine, my local politician, Donaka as well, yeah. looking into it, um, you know what, we have no to, we, we got we, the primary medical support, like, they're telling I us... Explain, sorry,
4: Daniel, that's a, that's a term that people use, and I guess if, if you don't need to know what it is, you don't know what it is, so what is
12: it? Yeah, so, like, I'll, I'll just speak about myself, yeah. you know, so, like, my condition is um, osteogenesis and buffeta. so I have brittle bones disease, so um, you have to go and get assessed um, if you require, acquire a disability, um, I automatically had one, but if you acquire a disability, your GP will refer you um, for a primary medical cert. In Cork City, in Cork South Central, it's up in, St Finbar. Then you go before a board, and they're d- determine whether you apply for this primary medical cert. So it's considered like the golden ticket, you know? Right. Because if you get that, it allows you to get concessions. Um, which I, I was listening to Julie before um, the break, um, she explained it already, so it allows you to get them concessions. Yeah. Without that, you're not able to get it. Um, people with disabilities, it's not that we like changing the car, it's we need a, a bigger vehicle to get in and out of, and ones um, they cost more money, you know? Yeah. Like, that's what it is, but now they have stopped it. like, what
4: kind of things do you need in your car? My
12: you own know? car, no, so I drive with a hand control. So my legs um can't um I, I can't reach the pedals, so I drive with a hand control. So it's an automatic transmission, um and it's an accelerator and brake hand control. So but an able-bodied person can jump into the car and drive it as well, you know. And I have a steering wheel spinner to help me turn the wheel oh, yeah. because I have one hand on the, the hand control the whole time and another hand on the steering wheel to turn the vehicle really. But like. There's more extensive Adaptions There's lesser adaptions Because every disability Isn't the same No Yeah So We get people down here To watch some work And What works for me Isn't going to work for them What vehicle works for me Isn't going to work for them You know But This has stopped now You know And we all thought In the industry At the start That it was due to COVID you know, but then we found out the Supreme Court, it's what he to us really last week, you know, it went the Supreme Court thing. We found out the a Supreme Court ruling because people were coming down to us saying they were in the primary medical care and they're telling them, oh, we're not taking the more applications. And right. we honestly thought it was because of um, COVID. COVID. When we got more investigation, we were like, no, it was a Supreme Court ruling. Um, excuse me if I don't know all the details no, was it's, 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 a, com- it's yeah. a
4: complex one anyway it's yeah. a challenge was made to the terms and conditions under which you can apply for the the cert and the supreme court ruled in favour of the applicant so therefore the cert the rules have to be changed but the rules haven't been changed So now there's no starts being issued. That's my understanding of it.
12: Yes, because we we do see people come into us here. um, um, Basically, if somebody has an amputee on their arm, you know, they don't qualify. One-arm amputee, they don't qualify for the scheme. And they need an adaption called, um, it's it's a steering wheel spinner as well, but it has all the controls up on the steering wheel. And those individuals don't qualify under the current scheme. So it does need to be reviewed without a doubt it needs to be reviewed
4: and is it very that must? I think the sense I get from the reading I've been doing and listening to yourself Daniel and you've explained it really well is that because it's a case by case basis because no two or three people will need the same changes to their car that's why it's so difficult
12: Yeah. yeah Okay, like I uh, don't want to be too critical in this time, you know, of the government and, and the country. Say what you want, world, it's an you know? open forum here, you but, know. But, yeah, no, but I, this isn't this ha- difficult to solve, right, you know. It's not that difficult to solve. It just needs people, like, people from the industry, people from all uh, the disabled drivers, and, you know, whatever it is, sit down and we get this solved. We review what the criteria are, you know. Not these people in the ivory tower that aren't on the ground, you know. These They're not on the ground here. Yeah. They're not seeing the people coming in to us, you know, and the, the, the mother-in-law they can't get in and out of the car, and then we tell them, yeah, we can get um, a swivel seat into the car, but it's best in this brand of car that you don't have, and they're not financially able to do it. Yeah. And then the lady is stuck at home you
4: know? Yeah, yeah. no, it it, it seems to be a very unfortunate decision thank you Daniel, Daniel Doyle uh, from Southern Mobility and he himself is a disabled driver where this seems to come from and I'm trying to get more on it is this challenge was made against the rules, the challenge to the rules was made, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court ruled in favour of the challenger which means that the rules now need to be changed and that's where the problem arises. They haven't been changed. Margaret, maybe you can help me with this. Am I, am I right there? Is is—is that it, that the Supreme Court ruled the challenge was allowable? So the rules have to be changed, but they haven't yet been changed.
13: Apparently, um, Minister Pascal O'Donoghue um, had no plan of action in place. He was aware of the court cases. Um, which had been ongoing for a number of years. There were two children at the centre of the cases. They are both wheelchair users. Both had been refused. And the parents had no option. I mean, apart from tying a, a rope behind their cars to tow the wheelchairs, other than to take legal action. Yes. Um, so for... This is going on four years since it, one of the children applied. Now, The Supreme Court ruled in favour of both children on all points of law, and they were unanimous. And the ruling was handed down on June 18th. Neither child has been actually issued their certificate to date. Um, If the the Supreme Court had ruled against the families, I don't think they'd be waiting four months for the bailiffs to arrive for their costs. Um, We became aware just very recently and by accident that a number of our members in DCO Warriors had been refused, even the application form, to apply for the primary medical cert. The Supreme Court did not rule that this this scheme be stopped. Minister Pascal O'Donoghue made that decision and he made it in secret because I looked up Kildare Street over the last few months and I checked a number of TDs had asked in the House of the Oireachtas under PQ the status of um, primary medical cert applications yes. for their constituents. Yes. No, Minister O'Donnell and Minister Donnelly were both asked by several TDs, and instead of stating clearly that they had stopped the scheme, they have omitted omitted to say they had decided to stop the scheme. Yes. Yeah. Um. So is that a lie in the House of the Oireachtas by omission? Well, vision? I'm not too sure that, that we, don't know. we should use the we, word we lie. Know.
4: But my no, understanding but of reading it, Margaret, yes. is that the, mm. the, the the decision of the Supreme Court in favour of the applicants necessitates mm-hmm. a change in the rules and that those changes have not been made.
13: We know that the government has many, many advisors. Um They're uh, quite extensive. We know that they have... Yeah. Legal expertise at their fingertips. This case was on the books for a long time. Yes, went it went through the all the courts. So it isn't as if they woke up on July 8th, or June eighteenth mm-hmm. and suddenly realised we should have a plan of action. Yeah. In yeah. case these children win, D- do you get my point? Oh God! That listen, that's, as, have, that's as plain as the
4: nose of, in your face. They saw it coming. Of
13: as, just doing this, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. You know, and I it would would calling,
4: it they would have seen it coming. would have
13: seen it coming. I would call upon every TD to please demand this scheme be reinstated immediately. Yeah. It is the it, the problem is they've had four months and they've secretly stopped the scheme. It's immoral. Yeah.
4: Okay, Margaret. Thank you very much, Margaret. Is an administrator on the Facebook page DCA. Warriors, which, by the way, if you have any element of disability in your life or in your family's life and you want to know your rights and you want to know what you're entitled to, where you go about getting it, that's a fantastic Facebook page. It really is. And there's hundreds of people on it, if not thousands, at this stage. What we got, right, is a Supreme Court decision forced the changing of the rules. The rules have not been changed which means that the primary medical cert cannot now be issued. So they're not taking any more applications now because, of course, they can't because the rules have to be changed and the rules haven't yet been changed and it has been quietly left on a shelf. And Margaret is right and so too before her is Daniel absolutely right and so too before her is Julie absolutely right. They knew this case was coming to the Supreme Court. They had a fairly good idea that it would be won in the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court doesn't just decide in one morning. It takes advice and it takes its time and it gives an indication. So they they had a fairly good idea that the Supreme Court was going to go the way it did. It was a unanimous decision. They've had ages to plan for this and yet they haven't. And that seems to be... The bit that's really bothering people. 1850 The opinion
3: line on corks 96
4: FM.
8: With the indoor self-service laundrette Now at the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying. Done within an hour. Self-service laundry.ie. and Ross in the morning. Weekdays, 6 to 9
4: a.m. on the 96FM. Okay, so for 2020, we're creating a time capsule that represents (laughs) Cork. A pile of paper. Yep. Definitely need that in there
5: anyway. And what else? And probably a few tins of paint. Two (laughs) tins of paint. (laughs) A loaf of banana bread and a box of (laughs) Valium.
8: Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool, celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's (laughs) 96FM.
3: This is courts Gold Emro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp
8: now 0833
3: 96 96 96 On courts
4: 96 FM Keeping with our text poll on the off licenses if you think it's time to regulate or restrict the off licenses in some way just text yes if you don't know to text or WhatsApp. Staying with this one for one more quick call. Jackie, good morning to you.
6: Morning.
4: Now, you have a mobility scooter. Yes. And, and when, when ca- did you find out about this ruling?
14: Uh, I only found out yesterday but I was refused it last year. I had to go up to St. S- to be assessed and okay. I went in with my mobility scooter and I asked him what did he think and he said I'm borderline. I might get it or I mightn't get it. Right. I had to buy a bigger car to fit the mobility scooter in because the seat and the battery would be in the back, and then I'd have no room for my son in the back of the car. You know, so I had to go buy a bigger car to fit the mobility scooter in the coach.
4: Yeah, and you wanted so, your primary medical search to be able to yeah. apply for the reliefs entitled. Yeah,
14: yeah. And my sister applied for it as well. For my brother, she got it, but it was no good to her because she couldn't afford to buy a, a car. You know, I do. I do. She had to buy an old car, which, you know, to fit in in the wheelchair and stuff. Yeah. She had to buy a big seven-seater one.
4: Yeah. And, and a, to on were you planning to reapply for your cert?
14: Well, I had, um, there was a thing that I could uh, appeal it up, yes. in, up in the medical centre, uh, up in Dunleary. Yeah, That's yeah. Up, up there. I never went up there because I know I wouldn't get it, because it's so difficult to get. Yeah,
4: it is It is <laughs> difficult to get, and unfortunately, they give it none of them out right now because of this ruling. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, good luck with your... Uh, Car, 185715996. It's impossible to get the certs now because the rules have to be changed because of this Supreme Court ruling and they haven't been. 185715996. Now, with regard to COVID 19, testing, tracing, testing in workplaces, testing in direct provision, testing in general, there are queues at the moment outside. Testing centres. There's a bit of a crisis brewing with special needs assistance, and and Carol can explain because it looks like this this could be a big one coming down the road. Carol, good morning to you.
15: Good morning. How are you?
4: What a, Thanks I'm, for having me on. I'm delighted to do that. What is you? You you're an SNA, yeah.
15: I am. So yeah, what's I'm an SNA.
4: Story with you guys and COVID tests. Well,
15: just um, it was announced in August that we would uh, that. We wouldn't necessarily be tested even if we were in a class with a child that was later proven to be have uh, COVID. So um, we did raise it in August. It's quite a worry. Um, it, it's in the document that um, the uh, HPSC released in August. Um, it was in the pathway for COVID-19. Yeah. And in it, they said the definition of closed contact within school setting will be variable. It will not... Be, or not be automatically assumed that a whole class would be deemed as close contacts. Yeah. So but, that's kind of what's happening now. Well, are you, and, are you, and, you
4: saying know, that when, if you're SNA to a child in a class and, and the child is diagnosed as t- or tests positive for COVID, an SNA by the very nature of the job is a close contact?
16: Yeah. Yeah. We cannot
15: distance. I mean, that has to be acknowledged, and I think it has been. This week it came out, we, we got uh, new guidance that on um, the masks. I mean, the union were pushing for that, that we um, have medical grade masks, that we have enough of a supply of them. So that's been a challenge as well. We can't distance. If you work in a special school, you're doing, um, you know, you're very close contact. You may you're closer be exposed than the teacher,
1: Carol.
15: Yeah, you may be exposed to, I mean, many SNAs do what we call intimate care, which is toileting. So it's, it's you know borderline nursing. So we we are trying our best, but it does feel a bit like we've been talked down to. Especially there was a document came out yesterday uh, about masks. But in it, you know, they say they tell SNAs to exercise, eat well, and avoid smoke. I mean, we know that. Yeah. You know, um, but what we we would like, I suppose, uh, this is my own point of view. It's worrying to know that. Um, they, the HSC do the contact tracing, they decide who is going to uh, go for COVID testing and who's close contact. But they're not necessarily then saying a whole class is a, whole con- is a con- close contact. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the schools are quite overcrowded. Uh, I know we're trying to put them in pods with windows open, but they are quite overcrowded. And to be told of a child that's been sick- sitting in a class with you for six hours, uh, is not a close contact. It
16: just, it doesn't add up, yeah. you
4: know. And moreover, so given that the SNA is the person who, like you said, God, there's there's toilet involved, but but in the course of an ordinary day, the SNA is the person who holds the child's wrist while they try to write. The SNA is the person who sits over the child helping them to read their book. The SNA yeah. is is next to the child at sometimes touching the child all
1: day.
15: I mean, we wouldn't, I, I would hope, I wouldn't hold a risk, but you wouldn't you know, be... I mean, you know what I
1: mean, you'd help yeah, them, yeah, you'd but help them. You them.
15: would be sitting right beside them, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, plus there's the mental strain of, I, I worry about passing around to the children I work with as well, you know, because lots of the children you work with are magically vulnerable. And also a lot of SNAs, they're high risk, they're deemed as high risk. They're only um, uh, being allowed off work if they're very high risk. So you've got teeth you know, some of the SMAs like myself, I'm nearly fifty. Um, some of them might have high blood pressure, you know, different things. So, you know, it's easy to put out, come out th- with these documents and say, you know, clinically X, Y, Z. But there's human life. We're all human. We're all the frailties. Uh, we're all tired. We're sitting in cold classrooms if if the windows are open. We're trying our best, but we just want to know that those in charge are trying their best as well. And that we know that we will be, um, that we won't be exposed to children with COVID if we are, that we're tested. Okay. And it's that's a benefit to the whole of society yeah. because right. it doesn't suit anybody for us to get sick either. And teachers too, special needs teachers, they're sitting in beside children as well. Yeah. You know, uh, if a teacher's in a, in, in a classroom for six hours and a child is sitting down the back and they have then you know, sadly, they had COVID, they'll probably be okay. But um, they've been with that teacher for six hours. And next thing, uh, the HSC, they, and I've heard of a few cases where they said, well, they're not beside you, they're in a different pod, especially in secondary schools, so we're not going to test you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. there was a thing that uh, went around on Twitter during the week about two teachers, and I know the person involved, that were um, told that they weren't, uh, close contacts even though they were in the classroom they went to their GPs and they were tested themselves, they did it themselves and they both tested positive That's
4: so, two That's two it, cases that would have been yeah, missed if I, they hadn't done themselves
15: yeah, 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 so I mean I just think this, this guideline was written in August by the HPFC you know, the cases are we all know, we're all watching the cases going up, but just be sensible about it, you know mm. <sighs> that's all, I suppose I'm, I'm trying to you
4: know? No, I guess you. and you make a point very well, Carol. Thank you very much. Carol is, as I said, an SNA. And if a child in a classroom tests positive for COVID, the SNA is not presently considered a close contact and is not presently automatically considered for a COVID test.
3: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Like, that's the level of stupidity you cannot make up. 1850-715-996. Thanks to Dolores, ah, from Jump for Jerry and I Hope he's in good shape these days. Dolores, thanks for this. Uh, She sent us the terms and conditions, the rules with regard to the primary medical certificate. An applicant must be permanently and severely disabled within the terms of the Disabled Drivers and Disabled Passengers Regulations 1994. And there's a list of conditions that would... Bring them into that category, like be wholly or almost wholly without the use of both legs, or one leg and almost entirely without the use of the other leg, so they're severely restricted. Be without both hands or without both arms. Be without one or both legs. Be almost without the use of both arms or hands. Wholly or almost wholly with the use of one leg. Have the medical condition of dwarfism and have serious difficulties of movement of the lower limbs. Thank you for that. Dolores. and those rules have had to be changed now because of the Supreme Court ruling, and they haven't been changed, so they basically can't apply anymore. Thank you. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Just keep the poll going on the off licenses. Yes, if you think it's time for. Restrictions of some kind Doesn't matter what they are Just restrictions And no, if you don't To 83 396 96 96. The Opinion
3: Line On Cork's 96FM With the Solid Fuel Depot
8: Now located at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road Coal, gas, kiln-dried wood and briquettes For collection or delivery SolidFuelDepot.ie Access all areas On Cork's 96FM Your
5: guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Coming up as part of the Everyman's Play It By Ear series, Ger Fitzgibbon returns with his play The Four-Faced Liar when the four faces of Shandon Steeple come alive with a commentary on the city's inhabitants. The final rehearsed reading in the series is the darkly chilling play The Seafarer by Conor McPherson and directed by John McCarthy. Access all areas. Feeling Good with Karen Underwood and John O'Brien brings us a night of heartwarming and roof-raising jazz, soul and blues. With interpretations of the songs of Billie Holiday, Nina Simone, Dina Washington and with you can check out more details at everymancork.com Access all
3: areas
5: Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife
8: on side
3: On
8: Cork's 96fm
3: this is Courts Gold, Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call
8: us now, 1850
4: 715 996 On Courts, 96 FM Getting me a response to the uh, primary medical certificate story and the change in the rules? I'll come back to it, I'll come back to it if I need to if anyone else is going to be on the phone with me, I will do that. But otherwise, we shall move on, or rather move back to COVID-19. In the letter, the famous letter that was leaked on Sunday, uh, from Dr. Tony Holohan to uh, Minister Stephen Donnelly, outlining his concerns and why he thought, why Neffet thought we should go up to level five restrictions. One of the things contained in that was that there were 31 Clusters currently in nursing homes around the country. And that was one of the significant causes for concern that Dr. Holohan had, had at the time. And we know what happened the first time it got into the nursing homes and ran riot. And that's the last thing we want to happen uh, again. Uh, Diamond Dolly, we've spoken to him before from Oak Lodge. Nursing homes. Uh, who had a your, the first phase was was difficult, but you got through it, Dermot. But everybody must be very nervous now about the second phase. Like what what measures are there with regard to level three? Good morning.
18: Good morning to you, um, PJ. Um, yeah, we are nervous and. Uh, I was even more nervous after hearing of the outbreaks uh, around the country at that level in terms of the numbers being so high uh, in nursing home studies of concern and as the CMO said, uh, Dr. Tony Holland uh, you know, when it's in the community, it's going to go into nursing homes or it's a much higher risk of going into nursing homes so we have to be extremely careful everyone in the community to reduce it to do all the the hand hygiene respiratory hygiene, reduce the social context, and if the community reduce it, we have every chance then of protecting the most vulnerable people of society who deserve to be protected and we owe to them Uh, it's our grannies, it's our uncles, our aunts, it's everyone so we, we just need to keep doing everything that way um, it's now we've gone into a semi-lockdown where there's no internal visiting, uh, no one-to-one visiting. We have window visiting and visiting in exceptional circumstances, you know, where someone's health has changed or there's a significant decline or they may be nearing the end of life. And, of course, we would always try to facilitate that. And, you know, birthdays, the guidance allows for, you know, significant birthdays or someone home um, from abroad or someone else in the family might be very sick who needs to see the, you know, parent or an uncle around. So we try to facilitate all of that um, in as humane and compassionate a way as possible. Um, Yeah, we're taking all... Were
4: we to step up from three to four or even five, would that change?
18: Um... No, it has always been the case that uh, on humane and compassionate grounds we would always uh, try to... facilitate that type of visiting well, what we would step up is there will probably be full gowning and all of that. At the moment we are doing that outside as well, Let's, or not the gowning but we allow visits outside for walks and things like that, so that would probably stop and there will be more stringent application of all the PPE okay. and the protection and screening and all that um, but we're treating it as if we're in level 5 really sure. for the most part you know, sure. and we're not taking any, any risks if we can at all Um, bar we were balancing it with the quality of life uh, for for residents and their families
4: What is the story with PPE supply because it was a disaster first time out for for everyone and everyone was grabbing trying to get their hands on PPE which was a disgrace and there was a whole plane load of it came in and it was so hard for the nursing homes to get it What's the situation like now? Have you adequate stock there at, at Oak Lodge?
18: We have uh, plenty stock of it, uh, and I suppose at the early stages of that, uh, we got an awful fright one day uh, in that we had supply for 104 days, and then the the directive or the advice changed, and then our supply, which we had boxes of it, became only four days supply. So what if there's consistency? Sorry, them, sorry, honey,
4: When the rules, when when the when the PPE rules changed. Guidance, change, yeah. Guidance changed. You went from, your your supply went from being 104 days, which is the bones of three months, maybe more than three months, to four days.
18: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, hey. All in, in, in one hour we, we, before the evening was out or before that afternoon was out, we were like, oh my God. So we, then we, we went off and we bought directly uh, pretty much uh, through Roku or to uh, help, help passport Ireland. And we bought from uh, directly from China 70,000 masks and and that really meant uh, that we were safe. But now the HSE uh, and the government are supplying PPE to all nursing homes and we all have adequate supply right. and it on a regular, consistent basis. Um, and are there being a massive change in the application of the guidance or in the guidance, uh, which I can't anticipate, because they're pretty much all the staff are wearing, it, or all the staff are wearing it at all times, and many residents actually wear it as well in Auckland, and I'm sure elsewhere as well, sure. uh, because they see staff wearing it, and, and while they're not required to do so, um, we certainly encourage it where, where anyone is able to do so. How are your residents doing? How many of them do you have? We're have 65 residents, and uh, you know they're all, uh, I suppose. Uh, For the most part, they seem to be doing okay. Residents have a great uh, resilience in many ways, but it is a a loss to them, and any contact in the social contact can be difficult enough being in any nursing home, being away from family without having those minimal contacts Knocked out again, so that is difficult, and that will show up over the three weeks, uh, and if it goes on longer, even more. So we were measuring people's mood and uh, the residents' mood and, and behavior during the whole uh, pandemic. And while some, you know, adapted quite quite uh, well, others we were very conscious of, and would have had to involve family in making sure they were more supported and were aware of it. And in fact, we facilitated, a, you know, an internal visit at one stage uh, where we mightn't have done so in the normal in the normal circumstance. So overall, I think uh, they're pretty aware of what's happening and they're back to window visiting and all that. Uh, so yeah, overall, I think uh, we're trying to heighten the experience or improve the experience with, uh, you know, our chefs asked now to do special candlelight dinners or uh, to improve the quality yeah. of the life inside our activities. People are doing more. There will be more Skype and more contact. That way. So we're going to try and up uh, the level and we're better prepared to do that this time than yeah. maybe we would have been the last time.
4: Yeah, the, the last time, the there was a couple of weeks there where, where it, I suppose, it got an opportunity to wreak havoc, and wreak havoc it did, the virus. Uh, are you happy now with the, with the help as we get into the second wave? Are you happy with what's been supplied to you? Are you happy with the provisions been made for the nursing home sector?
18: Um, certainly it's not, I don't think the shortage of provisions uh, will be the problem at all. But I think uh, what is challenging at the moment, being honest, which is how to motivate and continually motivate all our staff and ourselves to make sure that we, every one of us is doing everything we can yeah because it's true us it won't come in and that is the awful awful frightening thing if we don't have visitors it's really back to ourselves and that's what uh, we need to take every step we're going through what else can we do and if anyone has any ideas we're always open is Is that
4: what takes your sleep off you if you lose your sleep
18: Um, It is, it does. I suppose uh, anything where you have significant risk uh, to residents and uh, we care and we specialise I suppose, in the care of dementia, so uh, persons with dementia and and they are most vulnerable because they don't understand and they'll walk around and all that. So, um, and we also have started, you know, another uh, recruitment campaign, which we would normally do around this time of the year anyway, but uh, we're recruiting for staff who who are compassionate and who are passionate about this. Uh, We need more staff, of course, during a time like this but we always need very good staff that's the key thing Um, and uh, we'll have that in the media uh, shortly so they're the uh, you know the quality nurses we want people who who want to make a difference and can make a difference and we will value them and they will be a valued part of our team so I really hope that people will take us up on that Um, we are of course reducing the internal travel of staff around the place I suppose the biggest worry at night time sometimes, yeah, the pandemic, um, you're always worried if you had a fire and anything to do with safety of residents is always uh, a thing that would uh, disturb your sleep. But at the moment, this would be uh, one of the most significant things. And I think from a government point of view, what could, uh, would be very helpful is the expertise that is available uh, to the government in infection control and prevention. We would love to see that in nursing homes around the country. Making themselves available, say, so we've come down, we will spot something. Those experts, they're the experts. We have a certain expertise. We have gerontological nurses, we have people with masters, mm-hmm. all that in nursing with significant experience. But, uh, you know, someone who's in infection control all the time or public health, being out there, seeing what's happening, that's where it is. We're doing our, our level best, as every nursing home is doing and every care centre, I'm sure. Um, and But we're always open to learning for education of our staff. So any support that is in that way, um, we certainly appreciate it. Um, <laughs> The other day, I just mentioned we had rapid testing as the other thing. Um, we had uh, results for staff. So as well as the HSE, every second week testing, we were doing it on the alternative week. And more often, if required, rapid testing by Health Passport Ireland... Right. We have a result from a, from a swab a very uninvasive or non-invasive uh, nasal swab and also then the blood test and you have a result in, in 20 minutes and if the HSC could make that available I think to all uh, nursing homes and other facilities around the country um, or even help us we would if they procure it we'll, we'll I'm sure help uh, cover the, some of the costs of it and it will be a huge advantage to ensure that staff don't get it and the residents don't get it most okay. importantly
4: OK listen Jim we would leave it there for today thank you very much, Dermot O'Dalig, from Oak Lodge Nursing Home 65 residents doing their absolute level best to protect them as this damn blasted invader invades us again 1850 uh, just in terms of where we might be going with restrictions, uh, we're keeping an eye, now Neffet have their regular Thursday meeting today, and after which we may get a recommendation. We may not, but we may get a recommendation. They have the regular Thursday meeting today and one gets the sense that a recommendation will come because of a particular comment that Tony Holohan made last night. All of the indicators, even in the
3: short number of days since three days ago, all of the major indicators of this disease have gotten worse.
4: So... You never know if anything should happen. We're keeping a watchful eye and if anything should happen in the political world in advance of that meeting, we have our usual people with their beady eyes open so you won't miss it if it happens There's a school in Ballincollig College called Grailskull on Khashlawn it's a multi-denominational Grailskull and they have been using uh, a temporary site on the grounds of the rugby club at Tanner Park but because of the success of the school it's overgrown that site and they need a new one and there's a campaign started to get them a new site, ASAP. Maura Ionavon is the chairlak of the board of management. Maura
19: good PJ.
4: I'm amad, at least in these difficult times, Maura, what is the situation? You've outgrown your place in Tanner Park, haven't
19: you? Yes, um, PJ. The situation is that in 2016, the then minister for education, Richard Bruton TD, promised a new primary school for College, and that new school was to be built, to be built uh, amongst uh, about a half, about half a dozen others in the country uh, on the fast uh, track method. And the new building was to be in place for 2021-22. Mm-hmm. And by, um, a patronage plebiscite from the parents favoured a multi-denomination multi-denom- Grail School. And it's the only multi-denomination Grail School in the area Mm. and now at the moment um, the school opened its doors on August 2017 in the temporary accommodation as you indicated in Ballin Rugby Club and I wish to acknowledge and pay thanks to Ballin Rugby Club for facilitating the temporary accommodation on their premises but we're we're now nearing capacity and we've written no room for expansion and uh, we the previous and staff, board of management, and especially the parents, are very concerned at this stage that the Department of Education has not yet acquired uh, a site for the new um, uh, school, the permanent building for a grade school on Cosh Lawn.
4: How and many pupils are there, Maureen?
19: We have, we have 89 um, in four classes at the moment from... Um, junior infants to round the door. Now, the demand for places, PJ, far exceed the number we can accommodate any year. In fact, if we had the space, we could uh, accommodate two classes per year. But as we are so limited, we have to uh, limit that to one. Mm-hmm. And um, the ongoing situation is that uh, we are, as a parent body, and uh, Board of Management, we're do- doing our utmost to impress upon the Minister, um, Norma Foley, our Taoiseach Hall Martin, our public representatives, our local TDs, the necessity to um, acquire a site for, for the new primary school.
4: In, time, in, in, in the present times in which we live, the difficult times mm-hmm. in which we live, and the mm-hmm. youngsters now back at school trying to do their best with social distancing and sanitisation and this yes. bizarre new normal, it must be very difficult for you space-wise.
19: Well, in fact, PJ, we are very fortunate in the sense that we've only four class class classes, class groupings. Right. And the temporary accommodation consists of very spacious um, prefabs, but okay. they are very well fitted out, so that each class, if you like, it's its own pod or bubble, and they have their own eggs, uh, entrance door um, to each classroom. So in fact, the classes never mix. Oh, they God. have their Good. own times in the yard. There's um, copious sanita- you know, hand sanitizers Good. and distancing, etc. But as such, we are very fortunate that with our numbers, we can cope very well with the guidelines um, in, in school.
4: So, since is there any move from the department at all? I suppose everything is being blamed on COVID-19 now, the slowdown, uh, everything is being blamed.
19: Well, in fact, PJ, we have ongoing um, communication and meeting with our local TD, Andres Munakon. Um And our local representatives in Ballincollig, Colin Kelly or Gary Kelly or Ian Lynch McCroom. we we met them all very recently, and each in their turn are making representations to uh, the minister and the department officials. we do get we get the impression that they are doing you know they are making moves to yeah. acquire a site, but to be quite honest, this is um, we're hearing it a bit too often. I know, and it, it hasn't been um, born fruition to date. Well, I remember
4: I, I remember the vote right, that people had back in 2016. So yes. I, I remember that how this. Germinated. So look, Gunnarion Tal of Lichten Dubber. And
19: for a meal of market DJ, I just got wire number. We see
4: where it goes. Slan is yeah.
19: Bennett.
4: Jesse opinion line with PJ Coogan on Court's 96 FM. Nice old day out there now. In fairness, tis nice. Tis not the kind of day you'd be eating your dinner out in the street in, but it's a nice day. 1850 is the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter, at opinionline96. The hashtag is OL96. Contact us through Facebook, the Corks 96FM Facebook page, and mark your message for the attention of the opinion line. In fact, we had uh, a message in the last couple of days from a listener in the regional part of Victoria in Australia we've been talking about Australia in the last while, I might get to read that before 12 if not I'll definitely stick it aside uh, for tomorrow, but I want to go to something completely different but very distressing for any mother and indeed for any child, Sharon good morning to you Uh, your daughter has a particularly difficult and painful condition
2: yes um, she does, it started in February. She started complaining with pains in her stomach and swelling. Right. And she collapsed once or twice and I brought her to South Dock who sent us to the Mercy. Right. And in the Mercy they x-rayed her and he told me that she was completely blocked inside, both her intestines were blocked. Right. And he said some word, I didn't know what it was. And I, when I asked what it was, he said basically, he said... There's a backload of poo, and we don't know how long it's there. It's constipation. but it's she was ca- going
4: called to the toilet. impaction.
2: That, yeah, that's right. Um, but she was going to the toilet. Her bowels were working, so we were kind of in two minds, whether to believe them or not. And he just prescribed a smoothie call for the child and sent us home. And the next day we were back in there, she was vomiting and everything, and she was doubled over crying.
4: Right. Um, and did this come on her suddenly or was she complaining of it for a while? What happened?
2: No, she was, she was complaining since January but um, Mother of the Year here thought that she was only messing and being a drama queen.
4: I would not to you but...
2: Yeah, yeah, well I was saying she just wanted to time off the of school she was looking <laughs> for this, she was looking for that and as my husband said she doesn't complain very often and when she does there's always something wrong. So I brought her to the GP and they prescribed The Ponston, we do no good for her. And when the doctor weighed her, he told her her weight. And she said, no, that's not my weight at all. And I said, look, she's all swollen and whatever. Her clothes weren't fitting her. So he referred us to a pediatrician in the CUH um, and the pediatrician examined her and Um, requested an ultrasound and we'd have been waiting up to 12 weeks for the ultrasound with the backlog of COVID. So we went private with the ultrasound and the same day she got the ultrasound we got the results and she was admitted to CUH. They said it was a cyst on her left ovary and it was quite big. Okay. So as far as we were concerned she was being operated on and the cyst was being removed and then the gynecologist came up and said that she wouldn't be removing the cyst, that it was nothing to do with her pain, that they would put her on a tablet to see if it would help. Now, the child was crying in bed. She was on up to 15 painkillers a day, including morphine.
8: God.
6: She Even
2: in her sleep, she was twisting and turning. They couldn't understand in the hospital. No matter what they were giving her, wasn't suppressing the pain. Um, and I said to her that even the child, I said, if I was inside in pennies and if she was in pennies with me, she's crying to go home. And I said, what child in her right mind cries in the middle of pennies to go home? Yeah. And I said, she was out of school. No, she was out of school because I was afraid she was on so much stuff. Yeah. i was just afraid that everything was going to come away in school. And I said to the gynecologist, I said, she's missing school. She can't, she's not walking. Right. And she said, why is she not walking? I said, because when she's walking, she just feels what she's carrying. Her stomach feels heavy. And she told the child that um, she needed to lose weight, which isn't a thing you tell a 14-year-old. So we kept going to, between the doctor, the gynae, and everything.
4: And, just, and just, just just roll back a small bit, Sharon. You're talking about the cyst and, and the gynecologist and all of that. mm mm-hmm. But but she still has this thing going on that they found in the mercy called the fecal impaction, which, like That's you said, she, still she's, going on. she's yeah. full of of poo. I can yeah. only imagine how painful that
2: yeah. must be. It's unbelievable. Like since February, she's after been on twelve movie holidays, She's on twenty mils of lactulose. She's got enemas. She's got suppositories. She got picolox. Um, and so how long?
4: Pic- she she got you no. Know, Anyone who's ever gone for a certain procedure a colonel, that's taken that, that's taken picolax like that 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 cleans it you despair. out fast. It and
16: yeah. did,
4: did it did it move for help her at
2: all? It's not done nothing for her. My and God. the day um, she had to go back to the gynae three weeks ago, and when we came out of the gynae, um she said, "Look, I'm not worried about the cyst. Her problem is her bone." And she said, "You're going to have to get something done." And she was quite nasty the same day um, and the child was crying and everything so i'm being honest i came over there i was fit to kill somebody so i rang the gp told him i had enough of it it wasn't fair i was doing everything i could to help her and i was getting nowhere so he got on to the pediatrician again to get her referred back there and he got on to another pediatrician in the mercy And when I brought her back, I brought her back last Wednesday to see the doctor in the CUH. Yes. And she X-rayed her, and she said, "Oh my God!" She said she seemed the same since February. Now she was after four X-rays in between, and everything the child has taken. A quick question,
4: Sharon. Again, you're telling the story extremely well. I'm almost sorry to interrupt you, but is she is she able to go to the toilet?
2: She is now since last Thursday, but when, what was happening all the time was she was on so much to try and get her moving that every time she went to the toilet, it was just pouring. There was nothing happening. And because that was happening toward then, she was getting weak. So she's on dioralite is now to try and keep her energy up because she's losing an awful lot of fluid, as I said. Oh,
4: well, she's doing this fuzzy um, water.
2: Yeah, she um Poor Wednesday she got x-rayed again and she was still the same so the consultant got on to a surgeon in the CUH and said look we're going to have to do something here um, but because she's only 14 there's nobody in Cork will touch her there's no doctor in Cork that deals with it specifically only Dublin yeah. and she prescribed um, an enema last Wednesday and two lots of picolocs So I gave her all that. Then she was on her 12 movie call and she had her 20 mils of oil mixed in. Oil? So she, oil, lactulose oil. Good God. So she had that. So we had to be back up Friday morning and when we went back up, she was x-rayed straight away. And the doctor told me she had good news and bad news. So I said, look, just give it to me whatever way you want. And she said that she was after starting to move a little bit. There was um, a tiny bit of movement. But they needed to do an M R E. It's similar to an MRI, but it's more evasive of and it concentrates on the intestine.
6: Okay.
2: She needs to get stuff injected into her and whatever. So she's down as urgent. So when I rang to see when she'd get the appointment, I was told that there'd be a waiting list and when I said I'd pay it private, she said fine, it's seven hundred euro and whatever but what she's looking for the consultant she said it could either be Crohn's polyps or part of the intestine might not be working and she might need a cut away and um, <sighs> now this was an awful lot for 14 old when, when can in. you
4: get the scan
2: sure. I don't know I have to go private for the scan
4: yeah and any idea so, when you might get it when well I'm
2: hoping it? the end of next week I have to ring again this morning I, they don't um, they know my name and all anytime I ring at this stage I'm on so often but it's, um, it's just even, like I said, if I get the scan and if it is Crohn's or anything like that, or if she needs part of the bow or the intestine taken away, I'm still going to be waiting for Crumlin. Now, there's two letters gone into Crumlin. There's three different doctors up in Crumlin and the three of them are extremely busy. I was told there's a backlog. But even if I pay private, I'm still going to be waiting a year to a year and a half.
4: She can't. And That's not sustainable. Yeah, she can't
2: I live can. like that. No, and no, she only went back to school yesterday um, after being out again for a full week. You no, know, the school is fantastic. All the teachers know everything, the principal. I mean, they have been very good. The GP rang last night to say that there was another doctor after getting on to him from the Mercy because um, he wanted a second opinion. And she told him that everything that was after being done in the CUH was the same thing that she would have done. Yeah. Um, all her tests, like they checked her blood, they checked her stool, which was extremely hard. I mean, they lost her sample stool in the CUH. Right. And for a child that it constipated, it's extremely hard to do it. Um, it's just, do you know what? No, it's it never anything. How how
4: is she? I mean, how how does she? How does she get through her day? I mean, it must be bothering her mentally as well, is it?
2: It is. Now, even Tuesday. I called over to my mother, and my mother even said that she's not that She's quite the slightest little thing, and she's crying. Like um, she was a girl that went from doing nothing in sixth class. She went into first year and she joined everything. She went back playing camogie. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exercise. I mean, she was training four times a week with the RFA matches. And then she was spinning one night a week. So she kind of went from doing nothing to doing everything. I know. I know. And even when she's asleep, she's twisting and turning. So the pain is always there. Oh God.
4: And you said in your message to us, you feel completely helpless at this stage.
2: I do. I can do nothing for her. I said to her last week, I said, will I get you a tablet? What good is a tablet going to do? She said, I'm sick of tablets at this stage. When I brought her the first day she went back to school in September, we ended up in the E that night. And they said, oh, she's constipated. Bring her home and give her a movie call. And I said, she's actually on 12 a day. And I said, um, it's not constipated. I said, what she's eating every day, I said, is passing through her. But I said, it's what's inside her we can't get rid of.
4: Ah, so now there's a thing. Yeah. So she's able to eat and she yeah. has normal... And I know we're talking about this... Well, it's, no, not, it's
2: not normal bowel movement. It's right, just
4: but she has a she, bowel movement yeah, of sorts. She does, yes. Right. But it's
2: everything that was inside her. Um, now, she's still not back to normal, even though it is moving... But I, being honest, I don't know where to go or who to turn to. I got onto a TV. I was actually desperate. Um, And he said that he'd do everything he can that he'd get onto me in two or three weeks. There's two letters gone into the consultant in Dublin.
4: She she needs to be seen in Cromlin ASAP.
2: She does, yes. Um, Now, the fact her blood, um, they checked her blood for Crohn's and they checked her stool for Crohn's. And the GP said, look, they're all fine. There's nothing suggesting Crohn's. But then yeah. I was told in the hospital last week that this scan will determine if it's Crohn's or not. That they don't
4: always go no at the, at the end of the day, you nor me talking about it nor anybody else, we're not going to figure it out. It's up to the experts oh. to figure it out. But she needs to get to see the experts.
2: She does. Now, I was asked, when the TD got on to me, he said that he could get me an appointment if I was willing to go to Belfast. Yeah. And I said, fine, I'll, I'll go. Yeah. And he, no, that was a few weeks ago. He rang me on the Monday and said he'd get me an appointment on the Wednesday. So I said, fine. So I had to get on to the GP because they needed a letter from the GP.
15: Yeah.
2: I was waiting nearly a full week for the letter from the GP. Yeah. So I couldn't get the appointment now. And now with the restrictions, I'm saying, is she ever going to get started? The poor thing. Yeah. So. Like, her life is. <sighs> When she's going to school, she'll go to school, she'll come home. She might bring the dog for a small walk with her friends. She'll come home, and she's in bed by 8 o'clock every night, just that's, lying there that's, listening that's to not, music.
4: That's not a normal life at 14
2: It's not, not for 14-year-olds.
4: <sighs> the the delay is the flipping thing. Yeah. Oh. Everyone knows what she needs, but it's all about getting it.
2: It is, yeah. Like I said to them, I said I don't care how much it costs. I said at the end of the day, I said she's my priority. Um, but I can't even a private at this
4: stage. Yeah, because there's even no. delays there as well. There is, yeah. yeah. And tell me something, the, 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 the possibility of getting her to Belfast, like you said, you're willing to explore that even, even with the restrictions in place. You, you, you know, that's an essential medical journey, I guess, if you can get the appointment. But at the same time, waiting for uh, a week for a letter from a GP that could be that could be dashed off in ten minutes.
2: Yes, I agree totally. No, you have to ring um, and leave a message of what you want, and then you're put the following day or two days later you get a call from the GP wanting to know what exactly you're looking for. So then it was a matter of uh,
4: how long how long later would you get a call? A day or two. Day or two.
2: Okay. Yes. Which, in my eyes... They not should seen be so days, familiar
4: so. with your kids at this stage, they say, oh, God, i better ring her.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, even last night, the GP did ring me to see how she was, um, because he was after hearing back.
4: So you any chance of meeting from her. her from Belfast, like?
2: Uh, yeah, he was after ringing back to see how she was, but even her birthday was in August,
4: mm.
2: and she didn't want to do anything for her birthday, and we said, you have to do something, and we brought her to Taylor Park with her two friends... Yeah. And um, we said we'd stop off in a restaurant. Now, she picked out the restaurant and everything. And I was told to keep her gluten-free for six weeks, which I did. And when we went up to the restaurant, there was very little food gluten-free. Now, my heart went out to her because of what she actually wanted. She couldn't get to eat because it wasn't gluten-free. And I said to her, if you want to try it, soon," She said, no, mum, my stomach will be sore for the night. So even things like that. Yeah, I mean, for fourteen years, they're big things.
4: Huge. What, what, what we're trying to do today here is raise a bit of awareness of this for you because you wrote to us in sheer desperation to try did, and move yeah. it, move it on, and look, it's out there now. I, I don't know if anybody else has come across this or can, can help in any way. But the problem is, the experts that need to see her are in Crumlin. Yeah, and getting her into Crumlin is, is and the last thing you want none of us want is for an emergency to happen and she needs to be well, whipped up to Well that's my
2: concern because my grandmother um, her bowel perforated and when I said that to them in the hospital I said that was my concern um, because my mother said to me did you tell them that's your nan and I said I did and when I said that to them in the hospital I was told don't worry she's nowhere near that yet. So when do I worry? When is she going to be near that stage? Yeah.
4: You know, that's a, my whole this part. is like, a serious CSU. serious it glitch is. in the system she needs yeah. to be seen for goodness sake
2: like even if I wait like they're saying in Crumlin it could be two to two and a half years to go in the public system, a year to a year and a half on the private have, you, d- have you done,
4: and this is what I do myself so I, and I'm half mad so let's put that one down right. Okay. Right. I would get a number for the, the, the doctor in Crumlin and I would ring I'd find their secretary. I did. And I'd ring directly.
2: I did, for a full week.
4: And and did you get any satisfaction out of that?
2: Um, No, the letter that the GP sent in wasn't detailed enough. So I got on to the GP and said that they need a more detailed letter. Um, I actually broke down Crane one day on the phone to him because I said it was ridiculous. I was getting nowhere. Um, He told me then, when I mentioned I was getting onto a TD... Um, he told me that he'd get on to the consultant himself and mention I was getting on to a TD because he said it was only courteous to do that, which when he did, the consultant came back and said it wouldn't make a difference if I got on to a TD or not, um, that she wasn't an urgent case. Now, he didn't examine her, he didn't see her. A gynecologist examined her for a completely different reason and said she was urgent. It's just like, I'm hitting my head off a brick wall. And,
4: and he's signing the letter for Belfast, by the way.
2: No. Now, the Patrick O'Sullivan's um, secretary told me that it will take a couple of weeks to have that sorted. Now, the GP did give me the letter, which yeah. I handed into them. And he said, look, it'll take two to three weeks to hear about and see what we can do. But he said, we won't rule Crumlin out. But with the lockdown that's coming in now again, It could be another four months before I even get her seen to, and I'm just worried what else is going to happen in between.
4: Yeah. What if she caught COVID on top of this?
2: Yeah, like I said to the school, I I was going to keep her out of school, and she was crying at home, and she was saying, no, I want to be in school, and then she was worried, what will, if I'm getting up to go to the toilet in class, what will all the boys be thinking, and they'll all be talking about me, and it's just horrific.
4: Mm. Can't imagine what's going on in her in her mind. Does she does no. she talk to you about it?
2: She would. She talk a little bit. Like when we brought her to Tato Park for her birthday, the GP rang me, um, and he was on speakerphone in the car, and her two friends were sitting next to her, and I just said, "Look, there is no difference. I've kept her gluten free and everything. I said she's still the same." And he, he told me um, he was at a loss to tell me what to do. He didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And she was sitting in the car with her friends and she said, I have some hope of getting better. God. I mean, that's the attitude. Like, even in COH, when I went up, she said, This really isn't an emergency. I said, the Child can't stand. I said, She won't let you examine her. And she says, Oh, she will not give her sulfidol, which there's codeine and sulfidol, which mm-hmm. causes
4: constipation. <laughs> I was just, I was reading through the list of stuff that that you say she's on. And I also did my little bit of Googling on what this condition is. And in actual fact, opioids and drugs like that can actually, they don't help at all.
2: They don't, even the morphine. Um, They said that, that they'd have to stop giving her the morphine because it would make her worse. But they had to try and dull the pain somehow, and even that wasn't working.
4: You must be at your wit's end.
2: I am, and, you know, no matter where I go... It's I'm hitting a brick wall and I'm just them back. Yeah. I honestly don't know what to do. I um got on to different people, different radio stations. Um a month ago and I heard nothing back. It's I know I know COVID is a priority for everyone and
4: hey, you know what, there's a lot scared. you see and a very important point, Sharon. There's a lot going on besides COVID and, and Yeah this is the kind of thing that is going on besides COVID, you know. COVID, yeah. COVID, COVID, COVID is a massive thing, but there's yeah. a lot going on behind the scenes you know, that we need is, to talk
2: No, there is, even on Facebook, I put it up on Facebook after having my rant, after coming home from the gynecologist, um, was there anyone ever in the same situation that could help me, advise me what to do? I tried reflexology, uh, nutritionist, everything. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people that got on to me and said, their daughters are the same that they've been told this and they've been told that. Like, there's one doctor in the bond and told me that um, she'd be willing to see Lauren um, yeah. to bring her in, and I said, Fine. Now, I didn't even ask what the consultation was, so I said, Look, would you be able to do something to help her? And she said, Oh, no, I can just give her a letter um, after examining her for a consultant in Dublin. But that was a waste of time because I've already done all that. Yeah. Yeah. Even if someone has any brainwaves as to what I can do or how I can get her up to Cumberland fairly fast. Yeah, or Belfast. Yeah.
6: <sighs> it's tough.
2: No, I got an appointment um, when she saw the paediatrician last week. She said, look, I'll organise the scan and we'll see her back here in three months. Yeah. And um, I said, you've seen me before three months.
4: Someone is suggesting here, and this is, it is the, one of the best children's hospitals in the world, but getting mm. there. Yeah, have you chanced chance to just picking up the phone to Great Ormond Street?
2: Where's that? That's in London. In, in, in London. Like That's that, one of the no, best
4: children's hospitals in the world. Like
2: It is, but I have to be referred there. Because I, I looked into it, I googled all the hospitals in London, Um, There was a woman after getting on to me and telling me that they helped her. They were fantastic. So I Googled everything, um, had all my numbers, rang them. I don't know how I rang Galway. um, And there's no one. My only chance was Belfast or Crumlin. Now, there was another doctor in London. But like that, I'd have had to stay over there for a full week. Um, It was go private. They do every test and everything in the full week and she will be diagnosed within a week. Yeah. Um but like that then now I know she is very bad, but I was saying I'm gonna be stuck over in London on my own in yeah. a strange city. I don't know what's happening or and what what the child is even going to throw. I've gone into a hospital that know nothing about her. Yeah.
4: Yeah. If anyone has been through this and and had to get a child seen smartish and has found some way around this crazy crazy system, they can contact us by text or WhatsApp or email or or whatever. Mag says Jesus, the poor child, pain must be unbearable dealing with crumbling regularly in a different department. But I do know there are very long delays. Hope they, they are, get something yeah. soon. Others are suggesting things like acupuncture, enemas. Mis- you, you, no, you name it. She's that. tried it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know how many different. Even the night, the first night, I brought her to the mercy. Um, they gave her two enemas. They gave her one first, and an hour later, there was nothing happening. And he said, "Oh, we will do another one." But he only done that to keep me quiet because I said, "I'm not taking her home." I said for the child to be carrying on like that. I said, she's very good with pain. I mean, she broke her wrist before and she moaned a little bit saying it was sore. But she carried on and got on. with it. It's only about two weeks later then she said, no, my wrist is really sore now. Just yeah. so she can handle pain. Like if her pain is at 10, that would mean my pain must be at 40 or 50. Yeah.
4: yeah. I don't know what to say to you. I just think listeners, if listeners have any ideas, they can they can let us know. I just hope that she'll be okay and that you'll get her... Because you can imagine being being a parent wanting to get to see the right person.
2: And, and you can't.
4: And you can't. And yeah. you can't.
2: It's horrible. Yeah. And like even my... I have a 10-year-old and he said yesterday... um. Oh, I'm, I have the flu, I'm sick. And I said, You're not sick. I said, Go, you're a And he said, No, no, I'm very sick. I said, You have your sinuses are blocked. That's all that's wrong. Oh, if it was your princess now, oh. you'd be up in the NE with her.
13: <laughs> <laughs> no, he's right, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's just she's going through so much and she doesn't complain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to see the drawn look in her face from pain. It's heartbreaking.
12: Ah,
4: yeah, it is. And and the frustration, your own frustration. Yeah. You yeah. want to bang your head off a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I said, yeah.
2: Even the C-U-H, they know me by name anytime I ring. I know.
4: And you question, questioning, aren't you? You sit down at night and you go, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Yeah, am I exactly. missing something? Am I missing something? Yeah, Listen, all I can do is wish you well and hope that something happens for her. Maybe our conversation, maybe there's someone listening who can grease a wheel somewhere and see okay, what perfect. can happen. But that's Thank why I you. wanted to have a chat with you at some length this morning just to okay. see, can we get it out there?
2: Okay, that's great. Thanks
4: a million. No bother. And our best to her. Sharon, thanks. 18571599 14 years of age in constant pain. She has a diagnosis. She needs to be seen by a paediatric gastroenterologist which is effectively what it is uh, and a, the waiting list is like a mile long even privately she could go to Belfast although she hasn't got a letter to go to Belfast it just is just it's every parent's nightmare to be stuck with a child who's got a, a, an illness and you are doing your level best to help them and you can't 185715996 Inga says go to the Polish clinic in Cork they can refer her to Poland for surgery Anyone can help there. I so sympathise with that child. I'm an adult going through it for four years. I'm just out of mercy, out of the mercy, same pain. We have a lot in common. Morris says she should set up a fund, maybe a GoFundMe to get to Great Ormond Street. You need to know what's actually wrong and take it from there. But diagnosis is paramount, even if she does have to stay in London for a week or two. But she was saying, Morris, that she has to be referred to Great Ormond Street. That's the problem. And trying to get a referral 185715996 185715996 The Opinion
3: Line on Corks 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette Now
8: at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying Done within an hour. SelfServiceLaundry.ie
5: Question number 10. Finish this movie Titled Fear
1: and Loathing In Las Vegas. Laura, what's your full name? Laura Kennedy. And you're from? Glenville. You've won 2,000 no euros. Way!
5: That's how you do it. Hello,
3: your your mummy has just won loads of money. money. What do you want? Another winner. There you go. A two grand minute. Listen to play
8: at seven forty and eight forty
3: every day. Casey and Ross in the morning on
8: Corks ninety six FM.
3: This is courts Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
8: us now, 1850-715-996. On
4: Cork's 96FM. Let's people ring in with medical tips for Sharon, which we, there's no point in us past the month. The woman has literally tried everything. What we are looking for is useful advice as to who to contact or where to go next step although Lisa says I'm sorry if my child was that sick I'd sacrifice a week in a strange city and a strange hospital on my own to help her it's only London I'd be on the first flight over I don't mean to sound bad but my heart does go out to her it's just part of it Lisa she can't get over there without a referral and even if she goes over there she doesn't know what to do or who to talk to that's the thing 185715996. We're just monitoring the political situation briefly uh, with regard to NEFET and uh, COVID-19 and what they're about to do or may or may not do today. We know they're due to meet and we know that last evening the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Holohan, said how, how worried he was.
3: All of the indicators, even in the short number of days since three days ago, all of the major indicators of this disease have gotten worse.
4: Now, uh, Sean Defoe, political correspondent Sean, join me briefly. Sean, is there any indication that something might come from an today to say to the government, look, level 3 isn't enough, you need to go higher?
6: Well, there's likely to be a recommendation of sorts. They are meeting at the moment, uh, Andrews. There's, there's really a question over whether are they going to stick with the level 5 recommendation, because last night, as Mentioned you played a clip of Tony Hooper there. One of the most dark press conferences I've ever watched from him, and that's saying something given the where we had been before. They think the situation has deteriorated since they initially recommended going to Level 5. So it's kind of hard to see how they would uh, defer to any other recommendation, but there is some hope in government circles that they might now get on board with the idea of uh, this Level 3 and see how it goes for a few weeks. Minister Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader, has been out this morning saying he believes we need to give it two or three weeks before making any more changes or even considering jumping up another level to see if Level 3 works, because really you won't have the data uh, until 10 days or 10 to 14 days' time to see if that's actually working. If if it does persist in recommending level five and continue to do that every time it meets, which could be multiple times over the next few weeks, Politically, that will make it very difficult for the government not to do anything, particularly if the numbers continue to deteriorate, because in some ways it's like trying to stop a car uh, on a wet road. If you start to brake early, you're going to get there. Uh, If you don't, you may miss it and you may crash. And that's effectively uh, the analogy that's being used to explain why Method believes we need to go to level five, put the brakes on things right now before it gets out of control.
4: Now, the other thing, of course, that emerged yesterday was, like, who knew what and when. We had Leah Bradkar on with Claire Bourne on Monday night talking about the events of Sunday. This was lamps on us as a surprise on Sunday. That should not have happened. And then we had uh, Tony Holohan saying, actually, no, he did tell Stephen Donnelly. I spoke to him after the
3: meeting.
7: I spoke to him before the meeting, you know, okay. and there's nothing unusual. That's always what happens is to speak to a
6: minister um, both
4: before and after the meeting. Is that being talked about, Sean? Who knew what and when, and when, we, when, when do we get those answers?
6: Yeah, that's likely to be a big debate in the Dáil the Radcliffe's in at 12 to take leaders' questions, I'm sure it's going to be put to him. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Go ahead. Um, the Labour leader, Alan Kelly, has been out in the last little while calling for Stephen Donnelly to come before the dole to explain that. Now, what Donnelly is saying and what the government is saying is that, yes, he had a conversation on Sunday morning with the CMO, but at that point... Uh, level 5 was not mentioned. The CMO said, yes, we are concerned about the situation, but the, the assumption in government circles is that it was going to be moving to Level 3 or Level 4, uh, rationally, along the plan that was already being published and not this big jump to Level 5. The Taoiseach was informed that there were concerns that neffert and neffert were meeting on Sunday afternoon, but for the first time, collectively, they learned that neffert had indeed gone the full way to Level 5 was still Sunday evening. and it's not entirely accepted in opposition parties. A lot of people wondering, well, is that, in fact, the case? If... Um, Tony Houlihan was so clear yesterday in public about what he wanted, would he not in a private discussion with the health minister have gone, look, this is the way I see it going? Uh, And if he didn't, why did Stephen Donnelly not ask the question? Do you think we're going to level four? Do you think we're going to level five to allow the government some time to prepare? So I know more questions to be answered by the government.
4: All right. Thank you, Sean. Just a quick catch up there with Sean Defoe, political correspondent. NEFET meeting at the moment. So if anything else should come out of that, of course, we'll hear it during the afternoon. And that is such a key question. Tony Holohan says he phoned Stephen Donnelly and he told him there was a meeting and he told him they were concerned. And then Leo says on Monday night that was all sprung on them as a surprise. What the hell? like? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
8: With the Solid Fuel Depot, now located at the Junction
3: Supermarket, Vickers Road. Coal, gas,
8: kiln-dried wood, and briquettes for collection or delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie
12: Boom, boom, I'm with my ring wearing 96. I'm dropping these beats because I'm hella sick. Look at me. I look at you. Now look at me. I see you. Oh, God, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs>
16: So okay, right, oh, we... recorded were you recording that, though? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Got me feeling
3: so good. Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine
8: and Demi. Live. 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 How would you describe the show on a Saturday? I come in. You
3: see me. I see you.
8: You just come back into that weird... Wait, no, wait, you wait, wait, no,
3: you, you, Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. I see you. <laughs> you see me. <laughs> Corks, 96FM. This is Courts Gold Emro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text
8: or WhatsApp now. 0833
4: 96 96 On Courts 96 FM. Well, one story, Sharon's daughter's story is the story of a medical problem going on when we're all talking about COVID, loads of other people with serious medical problems. And I'm just about to move on to another one. But just a, a quick last blast for our text poll this morning about off-licences. Is it time for restrictions as we try to tackle the numbers of COVID-19? So yes or no, quick last few minutes. Yes or no, To 396 We'll round it up before we pack it in today but the story in the newspapers yesterday and there's a gofundme uh, open and doing well it has to be said for carol troy now carol you're from you're from county waterford and you've been going through chemotherapy and radiation and surgery alone because of covid19 good morning good morning pj how
16: are you um yes that's right Um, I was diagnosed earlier this year in February um, with a stage 3 breast cancer. Um, So within three weeks basically of my diagnosis, um, the whole country went into lockdown. So I found myself at home with um, two young children um, uh, facing this cancer diagnosis and trying to keep the best side out for the kids. So shortly after lockdown occurred, I met with my oncologist and she outlined the course that my treatment would take. So uh, first of all, I was to have chemotherapy, then I would have surgery, and then I would have radiotherapy. So she went through the chemotherapy with me, the, the side effects, et cetera. And then she spoke to me about chemotherapy in the context of COVID. Mm-hmm. And she said, in essence, I'm faced with two choices because as I'm sure you're well aware, chemotherapy severely impacts on your immune system and makes you very vulnerable to infection. Yes. So she said, I had two choices. We could hold off on my chemotherapy and see how um, COVID panned out, or we could begin my chemotherapy. And as soon as my chemotherapy would begin, I would go into the very high risk category in terms of COVID, meaning that if I did contract it, I would be um, at a high risk of hospitalization, ICU admission, um, you know, ventilation, all the things we've heard about. So I suppose when she said that to me, I said, well, well, what if I delay it? What, what Will that affect my prognosis? And her answer to me was, yes, it will. So I suppose as the mother of two young children, I said straight away, well, we have to start it. Nice. So um, at the beginning of April, when the entire country was in lockdown, I started my chemotherapy. And normally with chemotherapy, uh, you can have somebody come with you. You know, you can have your husband, partner, sister, friend come with you. Um, And unfortunately, because of COVID, I wasn't able to do that. Um, So I went to chemotherapy the first day and I I sat outside um, the hospital with my husband and I cried because I was just so terrified of what was going to happen, not just with the chemotherapy, but how everything was going to pan out in my life. Um, But I have to say that the nurses in University Hospital Waterford were amazing, um, the oncology nurses, and they got me through it. Um, because chemotherapy isn't just about the physical effects it has on you you have to get yourself through it mentally as well and they were fantastic
4: and did you have to like because it does knock your immune system uh for six you were cocooning like nobody else were you able to come home in between treatments for example
16: I was able to come home between treatments Um, it's a kind of a treatment that takes I suppose 5 or 6 hours over the course of a day And then I had to come home. But when I say I saw nobody um, or my children saw nobody for a period of five months, I I genuinely mean nobody. Because while the rest of the country came out of lockdown, if I'm right, maybe the end of June, the start of July, um, my lockdown extended into the middle of August because my chemotherapy didn't finish until the end of July. Um, and it takes a couple of weeks for immune systems to kind of kick back in yes. and start doing what they're supposed
4: so to do. So You literally saw nobody except your husband and your children.
16: Literally saw nobody. I mean, people used to come and stand at my front gate. As when I say people, I mean my mother and father and my sister and my like my immediate family.
4: The
5: people you um, reach
16: out
4: to most at a time like
16: absolutely this. the people that you know that I wanted to give a hug to, that I wanted to sit down and and chat to. Um, Because there were days I had bad days, those days where your head goes to all sorts of dark places and it would have been fantastic if I could have phoned one of my friends, phoned my sister and said, look, do you know what? I'm having a bad day. Could you meet me for coffee? Can we do lunch? I could do none of that. I literally stayed at home with my children, got myself through the side effects of chemotherapy, which which can be pretty horrific you know, looked after the children, homeschooled the children, and tried what? to keep myself. I homeschooled the children. <laughs> I suppose I was conscious that you're you made of,
4: iron, you're <laughs> made of iron, woman.
16: iron, I just had to do it for them. I mean, I as it was when you get a cancer diagnosis and you have children, the guilt you feel for bringing this awful thing into your life. And I know people would say it's nothing you did. It, you know, it's not your fault, but you do feel this guilt when you see you know, your children having to watch you go through chemotherapy, watch you lose your hair. You know, it, it's it's a dreadful thing. It's an awful thing for any one person. And to bring it into your family, you do feel this guilt, unfortunately.
4: Am I right in saying, though, that the news is relatively good in that it has worked so far? Uh,
16: absolutely. So on the 10th of September, I had surgery. I had a lumpectomy and I had 16 lymph nodes removed from my arm. And Two weeks after that, I met with my oncologist and she gave me the wonderful news to say, in as much as they can tell, I'm cancer-free, which is absolutely wonderful.
4: That's fantastic.
16: I mean, it was just so amazing to hear it after going through everything. Um, But I suppose with breast cancer, if you're a woman who has had breast cancer, you have a one in three chance of a recurrence Mm -hmm. of breast cancer. So in order to prevent a recurrence, they do continue with a drug regime for you. Um, so at the moment i 'm on a drug called Tamoxifen, which yes. um, any breast cancer sufferer will be familiar with yes. um and it basically has sends me straight into menopause and it 's one of the unfortunate side effects but they want to,
4: they want to put you on a thing called pertuzumab, but they do. you you won 't you have to pay for it yourself
16: yes, in essence i don 't meet the h s e criteria for pertuzumab. Um, since July of this year, some cancer, cancer patients have been receiving pertuzumab, Um, But because I have had my surgery and my chemotherapy already, I don't tick the HSE box to receive pertozumab.
4: Oh, them and their bloody boxes.
16: Yeah, and unfortunately, that means that it's not approved as in it's not funded for me. Neither is it funded by my health insurance. So what my oncologist essentially said to me, she said, Yes, I want to put you on this drug. But, she said, the only way is for you to pay for it yourself. So, I initially said, great, fine, how much is it? It's 3,000 euros a treatment, and I need 18 treatments. So, that's a total of 54,000 euros in order for me to have a better chance at not having a recurrence of my breast cancer.
4: Now, the great thing is that you set up a GoFundMe.
16: Yes.
4: And... It's hopping. It's on 42,229.
16: It is. It's been fantastic. I am. When I say I am genuinely overwhelmed by people's generosity, I can't even begin to express how grateful I am. I think people really have focused in on the fact is that, looked at it, it could be any of us in my position. Yeah. Any of us could be faced with this dilemma of having to raise money for their own treatment. It's a dreadful... Position to find yourself in, but anybody could find themselves in that position. I'm just an ordinary mother of two children. All I want is to be there for my children, to live a long life, to see them grow up. It's a very simple request. Yeah. And if I have to raise fifty-four thousand to give me a better chance of being able to do that, I will do that.
4: Well, i have but news for you. The to. number I just gave you is incorrect because I have it up here in front of me now and I've pressed the magic refresh button and you've gone over 45,300. You're into the last 10K.
16: My God, it's unbelievable. As I said, even within the community of Ardmore where I live, people have organised fundraising in as much as they can under the current circumstances. So many people have come together and reached out to me and said, please, can we help you? It it genuinely has restored my faith that there is so much good out there in the world.
4: Well, if anybody, know. if anybody of our listeners, and the talk is about to catch me, Carol, but if anybody no can problem. help, they go to Carol, gofundme.com, Carol's with an E, Carol's Cancer Drug Appeal. If they yes. want to help, there's so, we're into the last 10 grand to get you 18 doses of something, mm-hmm. a precious drug that the yes. HSE says you don't qualify for. I wish you well. We, Thank we might so check much. in again. We've also shared it on our Twitter to see if, if people can just, even if it's only a fiver or a tenner, that people can try try to help you. I wish you well, Carol. I really do. And I hope it works out for you.
16: Thank you so much.
4: You take care now. That's it for today. The program edited by Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We're done. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
9: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?